While we're warming up here, turning your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter number six. Familiar passage. You probably studied it in Sunday school when you were a kid, but it's never too late to be reminded. And uh, the Bible speaks to us on every level, whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, whether you're a young adult, or whether you're a senior adult. The Bible is there for you at any point in your life. And uh, (laughs) at any stage of what's going on in the world, too. Ephesians chapter number 6 and... uh, Verse number 10, we'll go ahead and read the whole passage this morning from verse 10 to 24. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We'll stop there at verse 18. So I'd I'd like you to use your imaginations a little bit this morning. I'd like you to picture a battlefield. And on one side of the battlefield, you see the enemy. And on the other side of the battlefield, you see the good guys, however you want to see it. A lot of times I think of World War I and I think of the trench warfare and there's no man's land. And anybody that got out there and when they went over the wall, there were people just dropping left and right. I'm not trying to take you into a horrific scene here, but I'm trying to take you into a battlefield and picture what's going on here. And there's people that are fighting in this battle and there are people that are falling. And then you look over into the right and someone just starts walking across that no man's land. And he's, he's one of the good guys, but the guys in the trenches are hollering at him and he's just walking in there and he's wearing a pair of shorts and flip-flops, let's say. And he walks through this battlefield, and he's just totally unaware of the smoke. He's totally unaware of the fire or the craters all around him. And he just walks onto that battlefield, and they're like, no, come on up. Watch out. Watch out. Come over here. And as he begins to walk out on that battlefield, and he's just whistling and looking at the sky and just enjoying himself, and then he gets taken out by the enemy. And he never knows what hits him. He never knows what knocks him to the ground. He never realizes the battle that's taking place. And I just want to submit to you this morning, this is what happens to a lot of Christians. They don't even realize that there's a battle taking place in their lives. They accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Go to the, go to the young Christian that goes to camp. They go to camp for the summer, and in the morning they get up, they have devotionals, and 
During the day, they have different lessons that take place, and they begin to learn about Jesus Christ. They have all the world taken away, and and they have the Word of God. They're, They're around godly people, and they're around prayer, and they begin to understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and they begin to understand salvation. They begin to understand that without Christ, they're bound and destined for hell. And, and under the preaching, they go down to the altar in tears. Their sin is before their face, their, their, their eyes. They remember their sin. And even in their short lives, they understand that their, their sin is against God. And they go down into the altar and they repent. They get down on their knees and they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. All they know is that they're saved. And then... They walk out onto that battlefield, and they have no idea of the battle that's taking place. And they get home, and their mom wasn't the one that was taking them to church. It kind of just got them into camp. That's a good way to have a couple weeks off in the summer, right? I don't know. I'm just trying to paint a picture. If your phone's ringing, answer it. (laughs) As as Brother Oliver B. Green, he said, who you talking to, preacher? He said, I don't know if your phone's ringing, answer it. If the shoe fits, wear it. But he gets home and he's thinking about the Lord and he's thinking about how great it is. Mom, let me tell you about Jesus. Mom, let me tell you, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Oh, well, that's good, honey, but I need you to do this. Mom, I just want to tell you, I was dying and I was going to hell. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Well, that's great, honey, but look, we've we got some problems we got to face. we got to deal with this. Mom, I want you to take me to church on Sunday. Uh, honey, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And he walks out onto that battlefield, and he doesn't even know that the battle's taking place. And he's walking through, and all he knows is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. A lot of people don't even realize the spiritual battle that's taking place. See, when you get saved, the devil can't have you anymore. You know, and some will say, well, the devil, that's just something to scare people. No, the devil's real. But that uh, walking out on that battlefield and not even realizing what's taking place, not prepared for it. We're in the spiritual battle of our lives. Many Christians don't even realize it's going on, so they wake up each morning and walk onto the battlefield unarmed, unarmored, and unaware of the battle that's taking place around them. There's a story told by Leroy, Leroy Imes. He says, about the time when he was serving in the Marines in the South Pacific during World War II, He says, shortly after we hit the beach, our armored amphibious tank took two artillery shells broadside. We immediately evacuated our disabled vehicle and darted from hole to hole toward the enemy airstrip, which we were to take. The sergeant began to check on us to make sure that we were okay. He crawled over to me and asked, you all right, Iams? I answered, yeah, I'm okay, Sarge. He looked at me and asked, Iams, where's your helmet? I fell at the top of my head and answered, must be in the tank, Sarge. 
He said, where's your duty belt? And our duty belts carried the ammunition for our rifles, a canteen of water and a bayonet. I said, it must be in the tank, Sarge. As a matter of fact, Imes, where's your rifle? He looked at me with disgust and pity. And because of our hasty departure from the amphibious tank, I was dressed about the same way that I would be dressed for a game of volleyball. And there I was, hopping from hole to hole and tree to tree. So Paul tells us to put on spiritual armor. And you you get into the battle, and you think you're going to battle Satan, and you leave behind the armor. And he lists out what the armor is. And he tells you to stand, take a stand. He says, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate. The first thing to understand about this battle is that there is an enemy. I'm backing up a little bit, but that there is an enemy, the adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about, walking about seeking whom he may devour. You can... The, the, the myth of the Christian life is that the better you're doing for the Lord, the smoother the path is going to be. Y'all follow me on that? I'm following the Lord and I'm going to church. Man, things, everything ought to be coming up roses is what we think. But that's when the opposition comes. Sometimes on Sunday morning when you hadn't been to church in a while, it comes in the form of missing socks. I don't know. I know it did for us until we made the commitment. We said we're going to be there tomorrow instead of deciding on Sunday. That's why I always say you got to be ready the next the night before. But that's just simple, right? Everything else starts to fall. The Bible says, "Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." It can get bigger and bigger from there. We're studying David. David followed the Lord. David did everything that Saul told him, but Saul was still after him. Saul was throwing spears at him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, in his books, in his book, uh, Lectures to My Students, he's talking to young preachers. He had a preacher's school. Charles Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. And he had a preacher's school, and I've been reading through them, but this is one thing he said, and I kind of paraphrased it, updated the language a little bit, like they want to do. He says, the devil is a greater scholar than you and a better debater. He can transform himself into an angel of light. He will get within you and trip you up before you even know it. He will play the juggler with you without you even knowing it and cheat you of your faith or innocency, and you won't realize that you lost it. You will even think that it's multiplied or increased when it is lost. You'll think you're doing better than you are when you've lost it. And he's talking to preachers. He says, you won't see the hook or the line, much less the fisherman behind him, behind them while he's offering you his bait. And his bait and lures will be so perfectly matched to your temperament and disposition that he will make your own principles and inclinations to betray you. Whenever he ruins you, he will make you the instrument of your own ruin. Oh, what a conquest will he think he has gotten. If he can make a minister lazy and unfaithful, if he can tempt a minister into covetousness or scandal, he will glory against the church. 
when you look into the past and you see how preachers have fallen and what that's done to the church and how often that's been used to criticize the church. But it applies to to the Christians' everyday life also. The devil will use your own lusts against you. He'll use your own inclinations against you. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. In verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When we Look in the Old Testament, we see the life of Samson. Samson, who was great, who had taken down many of the Philistines. He had his weakness. And when she she got it out of him, the secret of his strength, which was cutting his hair, then the Philistines bound him up. But the point is, isn't the deception. The point is what happened to Samson at that time. And it's something that's always stuck with me. It's something that's always struck with me. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he said, he said, when you've lost it, you'll think that you've gotten even better at it or that you've increased. But on that final time when he told her that the source of his strength was in his hair, a razor has never cut my hair from the time I was young. And he told her that. And he went to sleep like the other times. And she had already two times before tried the things that he'd said I never understood why he went ahead and told her about the hair, but when he said, if if it's braided in locks, and she did it, and he woke up and fought the Philistines. But um, when she cut his hair and he got up, the Bible says, she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And then here's the sad part. And he wist not, or he didn't know, he didn't realize, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. You know, there comes a time with sin or with getting drawn away by the devil time and time again. It never stops. But there comes that time if, if you give it into it. You get up and you think that everything's fine. I'll, I'll go back to what I was doing. And for a preacher, it'd be getting into the pulpit, Right? For, for anybody else, it might be that power that you had when you were witnessing. You remember, you ever remember witnessing to someone and God just set it up. You, you were in front of that person and God just set up the moment he moved on your heart and you witnessed to him. You told him about Jesus Christ. They were prepared. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You let sin get into your life and you get to that moment again and you wish not that the Lord had departed. When the Philistines took Samson, they put out his eyes so that he couldn't see, and then they put him in bondage. In uh, John eight thirty four, Jesus said, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. He said, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So, Understanding that there's a battle that's taking place in your life and that there is an adversary that's after you. Because if you deny that there is, you're more likely to fall if you're not fighting the battle. You'll be like that fellow walking onto the battlefield just whistling, not even aware of what's going on. And you won't know what hit you 
until you're down. And just like Samson, wish not that the Lord had departed from him. But God doesn't leave you defenseless. Paul lists out our weapons, our warfare. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our armor doesn't come from within. The source of strength isn't from within, but it comes from God. We got a little rain today. But it comes from God. Whenever you're relying on yourself, you're relying on the wrong thing. So he says, as he lays out the armor, he says, Wherefore you take unto you, verse number 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. First thing he says is stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. We have the belt of truth. You know, Paul, when he was writing this, he was looking at the Roman soldiers, and y'all have probably heard this before, but he's looking at that Roman soldier every day, and he sees the equipment on the Roman soldier, and he thinks about how a Christian needs to be geared up. One of the first things is that belt. That belt holds everything. It holds the sword at your side, keeps everything from flapping away, holds it in, and he says, be girt about with truth. A little bit of error, and everything begins to fall apart. A little bit of false doctrine, and things begin to fall apart. But there's also another part of truth. Pilate asked Jesus, he said, what is truth? Over in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we have truth in doctrine, and we have truth in Jesus Christ. Amen. The other thing that he says is the breastplate of righteousness. Look, follow with me. He says, uh, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. When you look at the Roman soldier, he had the breastplate on. It was wrapped around his chest. And the reason they did that in those days, when you got cut by a sword or when you <laughs> got stabbed by a sword, you couldn't go to the hospital. You probably were going to die, but all of your organs are in here. And the most important organ is what? Your heart. Protecting your heart. The breastplate of righteousness. It's, it's walking with the Lord. It's walking in the purity of his word. Um, Bible tells us to avoid... The appearance, all appearance of sin. But the breastplate of righteousness to protect the vital organs, to protect your heart, to keep your heart and mind stayed on Jesus Christ. The heart, not just an organ that, that beats and sends blood, but it's also thought of as the center of you. It, it's the heart. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, the Bible says. And then he goes on to say, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I thought about this a little bit. Because I used to say, well, what's the gospel of peace? I heard one preacher say that I respect, and he talked about the the, the keeping peace in your heart. But I like to look in the Bible. The Bible says, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, 
give I unto you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So there's that peace with walking with Jesus Christ. And then over in Romans chapter number 10, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How, shall they, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And in the key verse at verse 15, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Preaching the gospel of peace, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how does that apply to having your feet shod? Because, well, I always see Brother Grady first off saying, don't I have beautiful feet? And he said, my feet are beautiful as I preach the gospel. And, uh, but the other aspect of it, when you think about the Roman soldiers, they, you know, they wore the sandals. And it's not a lot of protection for the top, but underneath, I'm told, they had nails and that they could grip like cleats. And they, when, they were, when they were in battle or when they were in formation and they stood forward and they got that grip with their feet and they were able to push forward. You know, in this world, Satan has control of this world. And our children under attack, you're under attack. Every, every aspect of this world is under attack. I mean, you just look at the evil that's going on. You look at the bad things that are happening to people, and you just see them everywhere. There's only one way to push back on that, and it's not through your own righteousness. It's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But when you think about this, and I'm just sharing this with you all, when you think about what's the one thing that's going to change? Because for a soldier, one of the most important things for a soldier is to gain ground is to push back, to gain territory. Am I right? To gain territory, to push into it. What's the one thing that changes someone's heart and changes someone's mind? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you push back. It's with the word of the Lord. It's, It's with the gospel of Jesus. When someone gets saved, they're no longer an enemy. When someone gets saved, they're no longer a servant of Satan but they're a servant of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel that pushes back. I see some confused looks. We should have got Alan Carr up here to preach it and explain it. But uh, let's go back and look at it. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, And in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That shield of faith, whenever Satan throws something at you, it's your faith in Jesus Christ. In 2 Samuel 22, 3, it says, The God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. Whenever the fiery darts come up, doubt, anxiety, whenever that starts to come at you, you don't always have an answer for everything. But it's trusting in Jesus Christ. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. But it's, it's your faith in God, faith that he'll carry you through, faith 
like Moses had when he was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, the faith to trust in God and where he leads you and to trust that he'll carry you through. And then last, chapter 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the helmet of salvation. Whenever Satan condemns you, And he attacks you. The helmet of salvation. Trust in Christ as your Savior. The sword of spirit, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We have one weapon in this battle, and that's the sword that God gives us. And if your sword's... If your sword's dull, if you got the wrong blade, if it's not balanced, it's not going to do you any good. If you don't use it, it's not going to do you any good. If it's not sharpened, it says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. When Jesus was on the Mount of Temptation and Satan came after him, and Satan tempted him. He said, turn these rocks into bread. He was hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He said, turn these rocks into bread. Jesus said, he answered with the word of God each time. He said, it is written that man should not be live by bread alone. It's the word of God that strikes back and strikes out. Verse number 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, we have our Christian warfare, our Christian weapons, and we have our Christian welfare. And not the kind where you get money. Our power comes from God. In verse number 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And our prayer, verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me that it may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In the book of Nehemiah, when they were building the wall, this, this is something that I thought of at one time. In the book of Nehemiah, when they were building the wall, and they were worried about Sambalat and Tobiah and those that were opposing them, they were going to take down the wall. They wanted to keep building the wall, but they were getting further and further apart as they were building that wall. And they each kept on them a trumpet, and they built with one hand, and they had a sword in the other hand. And they were ready to fight. But if the enemy attacked from one side, they were to blow on that trumpet so that everyone could join together. I've always thought of the prayer list like that. When we put out a prayer request, we're asking for help. We're asking for help to petition God for help. And that's how we that's how we battle for each other. <clears throat>